So we are traveling through the book of 1 John. We started a couple months ago. We're in chapter two. Last week, if you weren't here, we hit on John's favorite topic, which is love. This week, we're hitting on war. Love and war. If you're married, you know those are actually the same thing. (laughs) Right? We make a mistake as believers, I think, in looking at this world that we live in and believing it's a playground when the Bible screams at us, it's a battleground. And it's that way from the very beginning. So when God creates Adam and Eve, he creates them and he gives them a mandate. And part of the mandate is to subdue the earth. Well, what needed to be subdued? God had created everything. And he said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. It's very good. What needs to be subdued? Well, it shows up on page three. And it deceives Adam and Eve and breaks the good creation that God had made. And we are suffering the fallout today, right? It's a battle from chapter three on. It's a battle and that's where we're in. So John now is gonna tell us, you're at war And it's gonna come at you in three fronts. Here's how the war is gonna come at you. Front number one, verse 15, 1 John chapter two, the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Battlefront number one. The world. Now, the world is a kind of interesting word. word. It has a a semantic range to it, and we have words like that. So a number of years ago, I was driving one of my daughters to church on a Sunday morning, and I happened to be wearing a plaid shirt, and she happened to be wearing one as well. So she kind of notices that, and as we're driving to church, she goes, Daddy, Daddy, look, look, we're matching, look. We're, ma- we're wearing matching blouses. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. I've never looked at a man and said, nice blouse, bro. Because that's just not how it works, right? But there is a range to words. So John here is using this word world and it has a range to it. And he's saying, if you love the world, then you don't love God. So what in the world does that mean? Is it, hey, I really love my Volkswagen bus. Well, that's part of the world, so hell for you, Matt. Or, I really love my garden. Well, you're joining Matt, bring some shorts, it'll be hot. Right, what does world mean, okay? So, if you're part of kind of my generation, when it came to church, worldly was used as a term all the time. And it was like, that's worldly. And what worldly meant was, that is unchristian and it's something God hates. 
So your music was worldly or your clothes were worldly or your attitude was worldly, whatever it is, like fill in the blank. That's a way to describe what people that are not Christians do, right? You're listening to that music. It has drums. It is worldly. You're driving an expensive car. Oh, that's worldly. You watch that movie. That's worldly. Those clothes that you're wearing, that brand of clothing, it's worldly. Where's your bonnet, girl? Come on, right? So there's that kind of like, that, that, that's the way that I understood this world, word, okay? It's food even. So if you eat that kind of food, what, you eat organic food? Oh, how worldly are you? Real believers trust God and they eat DDT. What's wrong with you? You new agey sissy, right? So there's that kind of just, it was like a giant bucket that anything that you kind of disapproved of as a congregation just threw it in there and it's worldly. So is that what's being said here? No. Please understand the word world has a range to it, right? It can be number one in the Bible. It's the Greek word cosmos. It can be number one, the planet we're on, just the physical planet we're on. That can be it, right? Number two, it can mean people. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life, right? It's people. Number two, it can just mean the people, And then thirdly, it can mean this, a system of thinking. And that system of thinking is this, that all that matters is matter. There's nothing deeper, there's nothing more, there's nothing lasting. All that matters is matter. That's just here and now is the only thing. There is no afterlife. There's nothing bigger than this. Everything came about through whatever, cosmic forces, but there's no God, all right? So that's, that's, what John is talking about right here. He's saying that kind of attitude that all that matters is matter. Look out, that's not from God. And he gives three examples of how that works. Number one, the desires of the flesh. Three tools the world is gonna use to get you. Number one, the desires of the flesh. Now, if you've been here for any time, this word desire, it's one of my favorite Greek words. It's epithemia. And it's real simple. Epi means over, thermo means heat. It's literally an overdrive of something. So it's really taking the good gifts God has given to us and elevating them into God-like status. So God has given us all these good things to enjoy, but you can elevate them in your life and make them more important than anything else and it just drives you, right? So food, is food a great gift from God? I mean, think about the flavors and what God has given to us in food. Summer's coming, which means this, fresh salsa. Now, it's easy for me to make a God out of fresh salsa. No doubt about it, right? Oh, it's so good. And people do that. People can make a God out of food and there's all kinds of bad things that come from that, right? It's taking a gift and making it too high. Sex. Sex is a gift from God. Do you know that? I know in church sometimes we don't think that, but sex was given to you and me from God. It's a gift. It's not like God created Adam and Eve and then was like, hey, I got some business to run the universe. I'll be back in a little bit. He comes back, he's like, Adam, what are you doing to Eve? Get off of her right now. I can't leave you alone for five minutes. What is wrong with you? That did not happen. God gave this gift, right? But can sex go into overdrive and become an epithumia that causes all kinds of damage? Oh my goodness, how many people in this room right now have been hurt when that good gift is used in a ungodly way, 
okay? So that's what it's saying. Like there's these things that they can go into overdrive. And when they go into overdrive, look out. They're destructive and it's against God, right? So desires of the flesh. Desires of the eyes, same word, epithemeo. And it's this, this kind of attitude that can come into our life where we have to look good. God help us if I don't look good, right? Look out. So you need a certain kind of clothing to wear. It has to be this kind of clothing. And I demand this kind of clothing. I demand to drive this kind of car. Like I will never drive a Datsun. They don't even make them anymore. How embarrassing would that be to be caught in a Datsun, right? Certain friends, I have to have these kind of friends, not because they're people that I love and I've pledged my life to, to see their betterment, but they make me into something. I feel like a celebrity around them or they, they're really cool. So I want to, so it's this kind of, I have to look a certain way and you give a power to it when you do that. Has anyone in here ever done something stupid because your friends were around? Yes, answer is yes, okay? I just got this study, it was classic. They looked at 20-year-old men and they found a 20-year-old man is 50% more likely to do something stupid and risky if two buddies are there. I say it goes to 100% if those friends are girls. Yeah, I'll do that, right? Because you've given a power to them, this desire of the eyes, I gotta look a certain way. And then the last one is the pride of life. The pride of life is this, I'm gonna show them. And a lot of time it's driven because of something in our childhood. You're overlooked, you're bullied, you feel like you're a parent's favorite, whatever. So now you've got this edge to you where you're gonna demonstrate to the world, I'm varsity. I'm gonna let everybody know how great I am. So your job isn't a job anymore, it's a place to demonstrate, look out, so you become a workaholic. Parenting isn't raising up godly kids. Parenting is now, watch how great my kids are. Represent, son. And that's in all of us, isn't it? You see it on the field all the time. You see it in Little League. You see it on the soccer field. You see it in the football games, right? The parent, you know who that is. Yelling and screaming at the refs and the coaches. And why isn't my player in more and more and more? Because God help us if your son or daughter doesn't become a professional athlete. Pride of life, represent. It's not about actually doing what's best for your kids. It's really what's about me, right? I remember like a couple of years ago, we have girls in, in soccer and we were sent home this contract. That it was like, you had to sign this contract that was, I will not yell at the other team. I will not yell at the other parents. I will not yell at the coaches. I won't coach from the sideline, right? You had to sign this thing. I did not sign it, Charity signed it. <laughs> I don't know what will happen to me out there, so I don't want to be a liar. Try to you sign it. Because it's in us, right? This pride of life, like, ah. Okay, so it's all there. This is the world's attack. through these three tools. So the question is, what's the antidote to this? Like, how do you get, this is going to happen to us all. We're all going to fall into one of these traps. What's the antidote? Well, it's verse 17. Notice what John says. He says, the world is passing away along with its epithemias, along with its desires. This thing is temporal. It's going fast. Do you know that? I'll just give you a test. Who here knows who the Heisman Trophy winner was in 2014? 
Marcus Mariota. We should all know that, right? That's just seven years ago. That's the University of Oregon. That's our home, right? This is the team, right? And we've already forgotten about it. The most important college football player, maybe in my history in the state of Oregon, we've already forgotten him. It's so, so temporal. You say, well, I knew that. Well, 2013 then, 2012, just, you, right? It's, this thing is going fast. We forget really, really fast. The epithemeos of this world are a mirage that the more you go after them, the more you need, and the further the goalpost just starts getting on you. I love how the King James Version puts Psalm 106, verse 15. God gave them their requests, but sent leanness to their soul. You know people like that? Man, they got it all, but their souls are lean. It's like a motor running out of gas, just ready to just blow. They got lean souls. So I have this privilege that I get invited into people's lives a lot of time at the end, the last chapter on this side. And I get to hear from them and I get to talk to them. And, and at that point, right, when you're hooked up to tubes and chemo's being dumped into your body, there's no epithemeos left. It's real honest at that point. And you get to hear the good and the bad and the ugly. I get to hear the regret. And the, why did I do that? Why did I live like that? Super healthy for me. Super healthy, right? Like what really matters now? When you're 80, hooked to tubes, what really matters? I have this book, it's called Self and Soul. Read it a number of years ago. Written by a University of Virginia professor, not a Christian. Just someone who's trying to figure out, you've got these two things, self and soul, right? There's a self side that you want all this stuff. But then you have this, he was even, he's not a Christian. He's like, there, there's something else to us. This soul side that has a different set of needs. How do you balance them? And he did something I've never forgot in this book. There's a group of people that, that they nailed it in the world. They got really, really wealthy. We're not talking millionaire. We're talking hundred millionaire. And at some point they got just too lean a soul and they took all of their money, all of it, and they gave it all away and they've moved to third world countries and they live as a third world country person, like running a garden, living in a shack, that's it. They don't have any income, nothing. And so he's like, I've got to talk to these people. They're fascinating. So he goes and he interviews all these kind of people that have done this, just given everything away and just said, it's not worth it. And this is what he said. He said there was one common denominator between all these people. There was one thing that he noticed every time he would be with these people, one thing that tied them together. Do you know what it is? He said they laughed a lot. They laughed a lot. Simplest life in the world. They had the other side. They laughed a lot. What would you pay to laugh a lot? These guys paid hundreds of millions of dollars to laugh a lot, right? They simplified. They finally figured it out. Ah, oh, huh. I think for us, normal people, we need this spiritual discipline. Like it should become a pattern in a believer's life that this is going to happen. I'm going to do this. I'm writing it down. I'm gonna do this. Either once a year, twice a year, whatever, whatever it is, you're just saying, I'm gonna institute this spiritual discipline in my life, it's that important. And it's gonna be me, probably my family as well, and we are once a year, minimally, gonna make a pilgrimage to the Merlin dump. 
And we're going to look at it all. And we're going to breathe deeply of the smell. Just, ah, you know what I call that smell? Yesterday's treasure. That's what it is. I want to bottle it up, stand out in front of Walmart and spray people with it. That's what that'll smell like tomorrow. Man, I'm telling you. Everything that we strove for is there. Right? We had to have it. The thigh master, the sham wow, the blue blocker sunglasses. Got to have them. They're there now. Right? Take a picture of it. Put it as an app or the background on your phone before you go to the Amazon app. Yeah, it's going to end up there. Just put it in perspective. That's what it's calling for. Just put this in perspective. I think it's a good thing to go home and journal and ask yourself this question. If you're under 80, what do I want to be like when I'm 80? What's going to matter to me when I'm 80? Will your clothes matter to you? Probably not. You're in sweats because it's comfortable and you can get away with it. You're like tracksuit. That's what I'm in. What's going to matter? I think what matters at the end of the day is people and Jesus. That's it. And so if that's going to matter when I'm 80, then I should be aligning myself in that kind of a goal. Okay, if it's going to be people and Jesus, then I want to make sure those are my priorities and I'm doing things that are investing in people and investing in the kingdom because that's what's going to matter. That's what I think. When all this is gone, that's what's going to matter to us, right? So John gives us a real good tool here to the attack of the world, desires of the flesh, desires of the life, uh, desires of the eyes, pride of life. He says, back off of it. It's temporal. It's temporal. And when you do that, here's what happens. Everything God has given to you, you actually enjoy it. Because you're not trying to squeeze life from it because you already have it. And then you can enjoy whatever God has given to you. And you laugh a lot. You laugh a lot. All right, so that's the first attack. Second attack is from Antichrists. Look at this. This is a long section. I'll summarize it when we're done. Children. It is the last hour. If John said it was the last hour 2,000 years ago, we're in the final seconds. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. And no one who denies the Father has the Son. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I think I'm gonna do a whole sermon on Antichrist. But here's what's real simple. Here's what he's saying. Here's what an antichrist is. 
An antichrist denies Jesus. There's a denial of Jesus. And this is not new. This waging of war against Jesus has been happening for 2,000 years by antichrists, right? You can go back and just read it. So there was a group, if you go back in history, 1,800 years, they were called Arianists, and they tried to deny Jesus was God. And they kind of failed. So someone picked up the baton of the Arianists, and they became called the semi-Arianists. They weren't asking as much as the Arianists, just a little bit less. So they go to this council called the Nicene Council. And the Nicene Council was trying to decide, like, hey, what's the relationship between the Father and the Son? And they were having this theological debate. What's the relationship between the two? And they had decided that they wanted to say, the Father and the Son are of the same substance. And the seminary Arianists were like, hey, hey, time out. Time out. Um, we don't agree with that. And so have you ever heard of the phrase, we will not give you one iota? It came from that. Because they said, hey, hey, put an iota in there. Because it changes it. So here are the two words that was debated in that Nicene Council. Right? So the first one, homo means same. That next word just means substance. That's the word that they wanted. The father and the son are the same substance. He is God in the flesh. The semi-Arianists were asking for that little I after homo. It makes it not same, it makes it similar. Just a little denial. He's similar, but he's not the same. And that council said to the semi-Arianists, they said, no, we will not give you one iota. Jesus and the Father are the same. Great is this mystery, no doubt. But they would not deny Jesus. We have the same attack today. Now, you, you can't say Jesus is the only way to the Father. You can't say he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father but by him. You can't say that because they're so well-meaning out there and there's other people. And what about them? You can't say that. It's too exclusive. You know what I say? I didn't say that. Jesus said it. He said he's the only way. You can't say Jesus is God. He's just a great teacher. He's a great example. You can't say Jesus literally rose from the dead. No, it's a metaphor, Matt. It's a metaphor of how we rise above our graves and our crosses and our difficulties. You, you can't say he literally rose from the dead. Matt, Matt, you can't say Jesus doesn't love everybody. You can't say that Jesus gets angry. You can't say that. He has loved everybody. What about when he cleanses the temple? What about Revelation 19 when Jesus returns with a sword and it says to make war. What about that? We don't like that Jesus. We like the Christmas baby Jesus of Talladega Nights. That's the one we prefer. Soft and cuddly, listening to a little Beethoven. That's what we want. You don't want the king. You don't want the king, right? There's always this thing that says, deny, deny Jesus in some level. So what is the antidote to this? Because there's pressure on us today. There's a lot of pressure on us today. What's the antidote to it? Well, I think he gives it to us. Verse 19, he says this. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Here's the antidote. You stay put. 
You stay put. You stay put in the body of Christ. That's the antidote, okay? Some of the worst deniers of the faith at one time were samplers of the faith. Do you know that? Karl Marx, right? Atheist, came up with, you know, he went to church when he was a little kid, Lutheran in Germany. Richard Dawkins, high priest of atheism right now. He went to church when he was a little kid. Judas Iscariot hung out with Jesus for three and a half years. Worst denier ever sampled, but they never stayed put. Here's what Jesus says. It's John 15. He says, I'm the vine and you guys are the branches. Whoever abides in me bears fruit. So there's this discussion about, well, what does it mean to abide in Christ? And you read certain kind of like, hyper-spiritual people, and, and it becomes very esoteric what it means to abide in Christ. Like, I never understand it, honestly. Like, you crawl up in his lap and snuggle with him and stroke his beard. Like, that's just weird. No. You know what abide in Christ means? We're his body. Abiding in Christ just means you stay put in the body. That's what it means. You connect to the head because you're connected to the body. It's just that simple. You stay put. That's what abide means. And over and over, John's gonna use this word, abide, 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 stay put. So maybe you are here about two months ago where he did that series called Good Question and I ended it with why bother? Why bother going to church? And I gave the statistics coming from Robert Putnam, Harvard, he's not a Christian, he's just a Harvard sociologist where he gives the statistics on what happens to somebody that is a weekly church attender. Better marriage, better parenting, better neighbor, right? Remember the happiness statistic? They tried to qualify happiness in dollars. They said, well, a non-church goer, it would be like they have $10,000 a year in happiness, but it would be the equivalent of going to church every week is the equivalent of making a hundred grand a year in happiness. That attending church gives a $90,000 raise to your happiness. And all we want is 10%. Come on. (laughs) Of your happiness, that is. Oh, Jesus just says it. You'll be fruitful. You'll be fruitful. Stay put. You'll be fruitful. So guess what this means? It means Sunday morning is war. Do you realize that? Sunday morning is war. You ever been driving to church and for no reason you and your spouse just start fighting? Why is that? It's war. Staying put is war. You ever have war with your kids like trying to get them to church? Like you're just like, what in the world? What happened to you? Right? Did poltergeist happen or something? Who are you? Get in the car, right? Why? Because it's war. It's going to be war. Guess who does not want you here? Guess who does not want you staying put because of how fruitful it makes you? Yeah, you're going to have a war. Face it, man. In the morning, just be, hey, I'm glad. I'm glad there's a war right now. It means this is good for me. Praise God, you guys battled well this morning. Applause for you because this is part of what happens when we stay, when we abide, we become fruitful. We, We can... Say no to the Antichrist that wants us to deny who Jesus is. Why? Because we're connected to him and we know him. That's the antidote. Stay put, fight, fight strong. 
And the last attack comes from, verse 26, deceivers. I write these things to you about that, those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as he taught you, abide in him. Last attack, deceivers. Deceivers that want to rip you off. So John, 2,000 years ago, the group that was trying to do this, they were called Gnostics. They said they had this secret knowledge. Hey, Jesus is great and the Bible is awesome, but we've got secret knowledge for you. We've got another testament. We've got these magazines. We have this esoteric knowledge that if you only had it, oh, yeah. Right? Secrets. I always ask them, you have secrets that Jesus didn't have? Because I got the four gospels and he seems to kind of explain what matters there. So you know better than Jesus? I don't think so, okay? That's what the deceivers do. Come to our Friday night meeting. Come to this, this special group that you're, you're the only one that's included in. We're gonna learn the secrets of the Hebrew language that will unlock for you. Come to the Sabbath day celebration. Come to this book thing, this DVD thing. And all of it is a pull all of it is a pull that's a good one because you want to grow and mature. So they get us in this very area that we're like, I want to know more. I want to grow. I want this kind of vital life. I want it. So they pull on that. But here's what they do. They get you off of Jesus. Whenever something gets me off of Jesus, I know it's a deceiver. It's that simple. So now what matters most is this information or now what matters most is this understanding or now what matters most is this discipline or this whatever social justice campaign. It takes center and Jesus is displaced. And so I say this and I'll repeat it over and over until my time here is done. Jesus is the deep end of Christianity. Everything else is the kiddie pool. Adults don't belong in the kiddie pool, right? You call the cops and an adult is playing in the kiddie pool. If you're playing in the kiddie pool, here's what you'll notice. You'll come across these unnaturally warm areas. You're like, oh, what was that? Yeah, stay out of the kiddie pool. Jesus is the deep end. Anything that pulls us away from him, I can tell you, yeah, that's deceit. That's deceit. That's what it is, okay? So what's the antidote to this? He says a bunch of times in here, but he repeats it. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. What's the antidote? It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's what keeps us. Now, I know that right when I talk about the anointing of God's spirit in a diverse crew like this, there are two responses. Response number one is from the folks who buy their anointing oil from Costco. They're like, all right, woohoo! Now we're gonna do real Christianity. Finally, what took you so long, Matt? And they're trying to get out their anointing oil right now and they're gonna slap it on my head and pray until I pass out. And then you got the other side over here that's like, oh, great. 
this is going to get weird. Matt's going to go three pigs on us and huff and puff and blow us all over. Oh, no, right? We got that. And here's why. In the church, people that love Jesus see the way that the Spirit works differently. And it's called the sign gifts, tongues, healing, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, sign gifts, right? Those sign gifts are seen differently. And there's two main camps. There's one camp over here, they're called the cessationists. And there's another camp over here, they're called the continuationists. So a cessationist says this, that those sign gifts of miracles and healing and tongues and words of wisdom and words of knowledge, those things, they ceased. Cessationists, they ceased with the finishing of the canon of scripture and the death of the first apostles, that it was for them alone, right? So that's camp number one. Camp number two, and there's people that love Jesus that are there. Camp number two is this. No, it continues. So what we read in the book of Acts continues on, right? So there's the two camps, and they see things, you know, pretty differently. And I get why there's kind of like worry about this and concern about it because a lot of like the continuationness side of it um, has been abused, has it not? With weird stuff, you're just like, that just doesn't seem right. And it's typically abused by somebody who's on TV with big hair and a white suit who looks like they put their makeup on with a paint gun. So I get it, right? There's like, ah, what is that? This doesn't seem right. But my thing is, you don't just throw out a good portion of scripture because it's abused. So where does Edgewater lie, I guess, is important for us to know. I just say this, I'm charismatic with a seatbelt. Even all that kind of craziness. But I believe the book of Acts was not written just to describe what happened. The book of Acts was written to prescribe the way church is to be run. And I think God... Psalm 115, God is in heaven and he does what he wants. I think it's the same today, that God hasn't changed one bit. And while we may not see the same things happen here, I just say, if God wants to, I'm okay. And I'm good with it. So I'm charismatic with a seatbelt. So, okay. God, if you wanna heal somebody, I'm gonna pray for that. God, if I feel something in my heart that I'm supposed to say to somebody, I'm gonna do that, right? That's, that's what I think is the best thing for you and me to do. So here's what, here's what John says now. Now that we've got hopefully that out of the way, John says, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have been given this anointing. And both sides, continuationists and cessationists, they agree on this one thing that the Spirit does in our life, guides us into truth. John 16, 13. Jesus says, I'm going away. Here's the good news. I'm sending you my Spirit who will guide you into truth to keep you from deception. Galatians 3 two and three. Foolish Galatians, who's tricked you? Who deceived you? Who got you sucked into all this garbage? Don't you know you've been given the Spirit? And how are you given the Spirit? By grace, not by some kind of esoteric knowledge. You were given it. Therefore, continue in that. Or 2 Peter 1 verse 3, where Peter just says this, you have been given everything you need for life and godliness. There's no like esoteric knowledge that you're missing out on. You've been given everything you need for life and godliness in his spirit. So believers that are searching for something else get trapped in this. Here's what we're like. We're like a person 
that's looking for their glasses when they've left them on the top of their head. Bro, you've already been given it. The anointing's already there. That's what John is saying. You've already been given the anointing. And then when we start to head off in these crazy directions, what happens is we lose, leave the deep end and we start losing our joy and our peace and it gets weird and legalistic and just, it starts to just steamroll us. You have the anointing. If you believed in Jesus Christ, you have the anointing. It's what John is saying. It just doesn't feel like it. Sometimes it feels like I should have more. Okay. So here's an important verse, and I'll share it with you and try to explain it. Listen to this. Do not quench the spirit. What's quenching? If you have a red hot fire and you throw water on it, what did you do to that fire? You quenched it. Do not quench the spirit. Now, if the Bible's telling us not to do that, what does it mean we can do? Probably quench the spirit. How? Do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast what is good. There's something you and I as believers, we've been given God's spirit. We've been given that anointing, no doubt, the moment you believe in Jesus. But there's something that we can do that quenches God the Spirit. Now, think about that for a second. Me, little mortal man, somehow I can affect God? That seems weird, doesn't it? Because he seems like he says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. So how is that possible? Well, maybe here's how. I'll try to explain it like this. I call this my alarm clock theology. Let's say, and it's never gonna happen, that I finally see the light and I decide I'm gonna start running. So I'm like, okay, tomorrow morning I'm starting, I'm gonna go for a run. And I kinda know what my day is, so I realize this, all right, for me to be able to make a run, you know, five miles would take me, I don't know, 30 minutes, 25 minutes, something like that. So 30 minutes for that, get up, I gotta get ready, that's 20 minutes, devotions, 20 minutes. Okay, that whole package, in order for me to get that done before I gotta get my day started, I need to get up at 5 a.m. So I'm like, okay, 5 a.m. So we have some friends over tonight, we're hanging out, things are late. I don't get to bed till midnight, set my alarm for 5 a.m. It feels like five minutes the alarm goes off. First time that alarm goes off, it awakens me. I'm awake, like, oh, okay. But my mind, like a supercomputer, recalculates all the time that I will need to do everything, and I find I've got an extra 10 minutes in there. So I hit snooze, go right back to sleep. Second time that alarm goes on, it wakes me up, but not in the same way. It's a little bit less this time. It's been quenched. And so I just kind of reach around, pat around, boom, hit the snooze button. Third time the alarm goes off, it's playing a song I like, and I just snooze right through it. Anybody ever have that happen to you? Did the alarm change at all? Mm -mm. It was the same yesterday, today, and forever. What changed? My response to it. I had quenched it somehow. Guess what happens with you and me and the anointing that we have? Same thing. And I can remember this. I rededicated my life to the Lord in 1991. It was the summertime. I was headed back to school up at OSU. And I remember God put a number of friends on my heart. Like, I just want to share the good news with them. Like, I found Treasure Island. You got to come with me, man. I'm in Treasure Island. Come on, right? So you got this just zeal, zealous kind of just zeal to say, please, please, you got to believe in Jesus. And there's like specific people that I've been praying for. Well, I come back on campus, end of September, 
and I'm walking through the quad at OSU. And if you know OSU, it's like the center of the entire campus. Just a massive grass area with these walkways that kind of go diagonal through it. And everybody's out there. It's a sunny September day. And I'm walking through and I see one of the guys that I really want to share Jesus with. And I'll tell you what, there was an anointing on me. I could feel it. My heart rate went up. I got goosebumps. And it was just God saying, share the good news with this guy, right? And we're getting closer and closer and closer. And I just was like, not gonna do it. I'm not gonna share with him. And I went by, right? Well, two weeks later, I see the same guy again. This time I'm like, yeah, I should share with him. And there's a little bit of it, but it was not the same as that first time. It had been quenched. And then the fourth time, and the fifth time, and then I'm snoozing through it. Has it ever happened to you? That's what you and I can do. Yeah, we've been given the anointing, but man, if we don't obey, if we despise the prophesying, the speaking into our heart, we're not testing what God is saying to us and being obedient to it, then we quench it and there's less and less and less. But here's the good news. I found in my own life, the opposite is true. When I start to listen and pray and be obedient, man, it's like my ears get tuned into God's spirit better and better and better and it becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. And the word abides in me. And it's not quenched anymore. It's a fire. This is how we do it. This is how we do it. Have you guys been quenching God's spirit? It's so easy to do. It's so easy to ignore. I ignored because it was awkward. Well, I'm in the middle of the quad right now. All these people are here. They'll think I'm weird. What, right? It's so easy to do. I don't want to say anything. No. And we don't. And what could have been and what should have been is reduced. So when we take communion today, I want to read a verse for you. And then we'll take it together. It's Psalm 51. It's been a verse I've been thinking about. It says this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. That's been my prayer. So Jesus today, we come before you as beggars needing bread. And I ask for every heart in here that's like mine. That can tend not to talk. Maybe not take a stand because of fear or embarrassment or worry. And we quench what you could have done. I pray that you would create clean hearts in us and renew right spirits within us. And that would restore to us the joy of our salvation. So we come to you knowing what we cannot do and asking you to do it. Clean hearts, 
renewed spirits, joy. And so may we eat strength from you today. Let's eat together. We take the cup, the cup of forgiveness. I'm so grateful that you forgave me for my disobedience in 1991. I pray that every person in here would know the depths of your forgiveness for us. And that understanding would draw us closer to you. The enemy would not use condemnation to drive us from you, but we would use confession to draw closer to you. Being reminded of the greatness forgiveness. So I pray for thirsty souls that need to know this morning that their heavenly father has taken our sins and as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's put them away from us. May we know that. May we drink deeply of your forgiveness and may it draw us closer to you. Let's drink together. So we conclude every service with prayer up front here. Nothing too big, nothing too small. Maybe you feel like I've quenched the spirit and I want that renewed in me. Come get prayer. Health, whatever it is, we'd love to pray for you. And we do baptisms. Baptism is an important step. It's just Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Now he's my king, and I'm obeying what he said to do, to be baptized. And it's an important kind of part and chapter, and we'd love to join with you in that. As Jesus authors and finishes your faith, we'd love to join with you. If baptism is for you today, come be baptized. If you're doing well, praise God. Would you stand and sing this final song with us?